we continue in James chapter 2, the sermon that James has been giving us. Last week we uh, talked about how James exposes how we show honor to some and not to others. And today we continue with that as our base. We'll be in James 2, starting at verse 8 in just a minute. How good at you are you at asking for help? <laughs> When there's something you can't manage on your own, what is the likelihood that you will actually seek someone out so they can assist you? Maybe it matters what the issue is or how long you'll try something on your own before you give up. This week I had an experience of this with a small project that I started with the women of our church and an event that we had earlier this year. Our friend Mary Dunlap brought a really small craft and showed a really fun craft and showed us all how to make embroidered hearts on cardstock, so then we could give them away after they were done as a thoughtful gift to someone in our lives. She demonstrated, and then we got into groups to make them, and because I had so much fun seeing everyone and talking, my heart did not get finished. You might say my heart was undone. (laughs) So this week I went to see Mary and thought that we could visit while I worked more on this craft. Now, I like art. I'm actually mostly handy with a needle, but there's a part of this process that is impossible for me. When you get to the end of the uh, one piece of embroidery floss and you need to tie the next piece to it, you have to make a square knot to keep it from unraveling. And although I was a Girl Scout who earned badges in fire making, hiking, cookie selling, and first aid. Making knots was something I really actually never could do. My brain just can't compute that. So Mary was so patient. She showed me a diagram. She explained the up and the over and the under. She demonstrated how to do it. She made a new diagram while I was sitting there. People, in the end, I actually had to have her do it for me each time. And when I got home, she actually had sent an email with instructions step-by-step so that maybe I could try it at home. In all probability, I'm probably going to have to need her to show me again before I get it. And truthfully, I may never get it. Thank the Lord for patient friends. Now, there are an endless number of tasks where we need another hand to help us. In the spiritual life, this is absolutely vital. We need one another. We are created to live in community. And as I read the passage this week from James, I was reminded again how absolutely necessary it is that we depend on God for what it is that he asks us to do. The Christian life is meant to be lived connected to him. Abiding in him, surrender to him. Not only are we not meant to be Christians on our own, it's actually not even possible. James's words to us today show us God's way. Now we know what God's way is, but because it's difficult sometimes, because it's ongoing, because it's necessary to make our hearts like his, sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we just don't know how to do it. So when we hit a roadblock in our spiritual lives, what do we do? James has told his audience that they have been favoring the rich over the poor and that this is wrong. And his words resonate with us because we grapple with how it is that we honor certain kinds of people and not others. But what he says in these words matter because they show us what God wants from us to show us and enable us how to act. So, the word of the Lord from James 2, starting at verse 8. You will do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, a few weeks ago, Pastor Jim told us how the book of James almost didn't make it into the Bible. Martin Luther said that he didn't think it belonged there because it only mentions Christ in the beginning. He said it was like straw since it didn't really have enough of the gospel in it. But I think that the teachings of Jesus are all over this letter, and we see them here. James has been telling the church that their lack of concern about favoring the rich over the poor does not honor their Lord. So he gives them truths to help them, and we see in every single one of the truths that he gives them, we have to rely on God in order to live out those truths. The Christian life is about allowing God to live in us and through us. And it is only through him that we can live into his love and his freedom and his mercy. In verse 8, James tells the believers who have made distinctions about who is important and who is not, that they would do well to remember Leviticus, to remember and fulfill the royal law of scripture, to love their neighbor as themselves. This is a royal command because it is given by God to Moses in the Old Testament and again by Jesus in the New. And we know that the basis of the entire law and the teachings of the prophets is love for God and others. This is what life in the kingdom looks like. Everything we do is meant to be done as a result of love. But while this phrase is often quoted and we believe it, It's much easier to say than to do. You see, this audience is well aware of the centrality of this practice, but we see how they are being called out for doing the opposite. So what does it mean to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? Have you thought about this lately? Your coworkers, your spouse, your kids, your parents, the people who live around you, your extended family, the person who drives like a maniac on the freeway, the one who has opposite beliefs than you, the person who betrayed you years ago, the rudest person that you know. Do you love all of those people as much as you love yourself? I think that we can be highly reactionary in our lives. I think we can easily take offense, yet not think twice about how it is that we treat others to their face or behind their back. And this reminds me a little bit of the Love Language book, which talks about five different ways of love, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, gift giving, and quality time. 
And once we identify how we best receive love, we have to be mindful that we don't just love others the way that we want to be loved. You see, loving others means paying attention to who they are, putting them front and center, not missing how they want to be loved. It is placing their needs in front of ours. And let's remember that these words are given to a faith community, not just individuals. So I want us to think about what it means for a church to live out this command. A church has a culture, just like a family does. When you describe a local congregation you have visited to someone, you may talk about their theology or their worship, but you will always talk about how you experienced it. And oftentimes, you will talk about how friendly or not the people were. You see, this is part of what James is addressing. You're kind to the rich person, and the poor person has to sit on the floor. One of the hallmarks of this church has always been that it is a loving place. Consistently through the years, we have heard this. We have all experienced it. We even once had self-proclaimed atheists who lived on the Mesa recommend us. They told their friends that they should go to the church on the corner where everyone is talking and laughing and hugging one another. Loving one another is a value that we take seriously. But sometimes we miss the mark. When newcomers visit and stand awkwardly off to the side and nobody goes to say hello. When we ignore someone we don't like as much as one of our favorite uh, people. When we joke or tease one another in a way that is hurtful. When we state opinions that tear down those who serve in any capacity simply because we don't like something. James is exhorting the church to love one another more than themselves. You see, it's those last two words that get us. It would have been a different thing if he just would have said, you know, love your neighbor. But it's those last two words, as yourself, that changes everything. Because we know how we want to be known and valued, and he expects that we do that for others as well. Loving others, as Christ calls us to do, is not something we can do on our own. It means dying to self. It takes intention. It means listening to the Holy Spirit. To do it, we have to swim against the strong tide of culture. We have to find healing for our wounds that cause us to hurt other people. We have to make a daily decision to allow God to love through us. Maybe in spite of ourselves. So who is God asking you to love right now? You see, on our own, this is impossible. We can try and we can try and we can try, but we will fail. But we can't give up. We have to keep asking God, Lord, How is it that you want me to do this? Empower me, Lord, to love this person that I just am not loving well. So take a moment and think about a person that you are struggling with right now in your life. That you have struggled to love them. I want you to commit to pray for them and ask God how it is that he would empower you to love them through him. James talks next about sin. He puts partiality on the same level here as every other sin there is, including murder and adultery, quoting Jesus in verse 11. Here's one test, uh, here's one takeaway that I have from his words. I think that we play around with sin sometimes like it's a game. 
We think in shallow terms of what sin means, believing that if we have done more good than bad, then God will understand and not count the sin we have done against him as much. And James says, this is not true. He says, you can keep the whole law except for one command, and it counts against you as much as if you had done all of them wrong, because we take the law as a whole, not simply individual commandments, like they're on a spectrum of bad and not so bad. One of the truths we have to remember is that we don't obey commandments for the sake of obedience. The law was spoken by God himself, and he knows that we can't keep them perfectly, so he came in the flesh to provide a new way for us. And we don't follow rules in a book. We follow the lawgiver, a living Lord who has spoken to us and continues to speak truth over us. And James says, rejoice because the law liberates you. It gives you freedom. Freedom is something we all highly prize. To be free from oppression and danger and pain and heartache is a gift. And all of us want to be liberated from those things that keep us in bondage in some way. Everyone wants freedom and they seek it in a million different ways. And it's promised in very many avenues. But so many of those avenues keep us in bondage. So James is reminding us how God has given us a law that leads to freedom, not constraining us, but allowing us to thrive by his grace. This is something we need God to help us with every day. We get confused about sin because of the voices and actions around us. We forget that we don't earn our salvation because we're so used to achieving We forget how the wages of sin is death. We forget what an affront sin is to the Lord because he is perfect in all of his ways. We forget how he weeps with us when we are lost, always offering his hope to all who would come. God saves his people over and over and over again, but especially from the pain of dying for their own sin. And then we willfully, joyfully accept his invitation to live for him. We can't find our own freedom from our own sin in another way through him. So James says, speak and act as people who are liberated. This is not something we do for ourselves. And so as we confess our sin, may we feel our sin being lifted away. He assures us of his cleansing, a new kind of joy we have in him. God has died in our place. Amen. The last lesson James gives here is about mercy. I think we struggle with mercy, with the reality of what it means, with how to best receive it and how to best give it to others because judgment is easier. Christians have a sad legacy of condemnation to the world around it. And we see Jesus all over these words. Blessed are the merciful, he said, for they will receive mercy. If you forgive people their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive, neither will he forgive you. Don't judge, he says, or you too will be judged by the same measure that you gave. But where I think of the Lord most of all in these words is in the parable that he taught about it, about the man who owed the king 10,000 bags of gold. In today's currency, that is millions of dollars. 
And Jesus was emphasizing how great a debt the man had accrued. So the man goes and pleads for mercy with the king because the king is going to sell his family to the highest bidder. And the man says, please give me more time. I'll pay it back. And the master miraculously says, I'm going to cancel your whole debt. So generous. As the servant is leaving, of course, he sees another servant who owes him a hundred silver coins, which is a few thousand bucks today. This man also pleads for patience, but the servant who had been forgiven his millions throws the guy in prison. And of course, the king is enraged when he hears this and punishes the servant severely. And this is a story that Jesus tells when Peter asks, Lord, how often do we have to forgive? And Jesus is like, Peter, it's not something you can quantify. Many, many, many times. There's a lesson here about mercy for us. The slave who had been given such great compassion somehow did not truly receive the mercy in his heart. Had he been able to understand how great his debt was and how the generosity of the king was a kindness instead of a privilege or an advantage, maybe it would have sunk in. And it is the same with us. When we are judgmental or without mercy for our neighbors, maybe it's because we have not truly received God's gift of mercy or forgiveness as a gift. James is talking about choosing favorites. And he's saying, when you choose favorites, it is evident that you do not understand Christ's mercy for you. The heart that humbly accepts what God gives with a clear understanding of the cost of the debt that has been lifted off their shoulders is more able to give that kind of mercy to other people. James is explaining how in the day of judgment, mercy will be extended in a new way to those who gave it in this life. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That should be something that we put in every place where we can see in our house. What an amazing truth. Because justice demands payment for the debt. But mercy pleads for salvation because God's nature is mercy. Mercy wins. This is about the heart. Will we believe in the mercy of God who draws us in as his beloved children? And then will we extend that mercy to those around us, recognizing how their debt is crushing them? People are being crushed by the debt and the weight of their sin and the sin of the world on them. This is not something we can do on our own. We are more like the servant who receives radical forgiveness and then can be harsh to those who want kindness. Mercy will always triumph because it is who God is. So when we find ourselves with judgment only for others, let us stop and go to the Lord and ask him, God, teach me, be merciful to me in this moment of judging other people and show me again about the better way of being merciful. This passage speaks to us because we need to not just understand the concepts of Christ, but truly learn from him sometimes again and again and again about what they mean. So as we love our neighbor, as we obey his words, and as we extend mercy, may we completely do so through his power. 
James is trying to fix here the problem of favoritism by helping the church deal with their heart underneath their actions. So let us turn our hearts to the God right now and in prayer, seek him for how he would make us more like him. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.